Uh, if we can put up the image on the screen. Um, I'm going to put up this week's image. The wolf will live with the lamb. Uh, let's take a moment um, and pray together as we, we come to God's word. Let's pray. Father, it's been really good already to, um, to be together and to lift our voices in song and to remind ourselves and remind each other of who you are, uh, that you are holy, that you are the ancient of days, that you are one we can trust with our lives and with eternity, uh, that you're one we can, we can lean the whole weight of our lives on you and trust you and rest in you. Um, our confidence is in you this morning. Our peace is in you. Our hope is in you. Um, Father, I want to pray as we, as we open up your word this morning, would you give us receptive hearts, uh, ready to not only hear your word, but to trust it and obey it and put it into practice. And we pray that what we hear this morning would make a real deep difference in our lives this week. And so we pray, Lord, come and speak to us by your word and by your spirit. Your people are listening. Um, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so this is our, our phrase, our image that we're going to be Focusing on this morning, I wonder when you hear that phrase, how it lands with you this morning, the wolf will live with the lamb. I wonder, do you, do you just find that really strange or puzzling? Or I wonder, does it stir up any kind of longing in you? I wonder what kind of longing it creates. The wolf will live with the lamb. We're going to get to that phrase um, in a little while, but I want to start with a, a different image from... Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to read a little bit from Isaiah 11 in a minute. Uh, but I want to just start with uh, this image. Oh, I've lost my... There we go. Um, Isaiah 11 begins with the phrase, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So it's the image of a, a tree stump and then this green shoot coming up from the stump. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. I wonder what that phrase might mean. Uh, whenever we hear the name Jesse, maybe it rings a little bell. It, we, re, we remember the story of David, and maybe your mind goes back to a story you probably, you probably heard in Sunday school, uh, where the prophet Samuel went to the home of Jesse, and he went through, do you remember he went through all of Jesse's sons, starting with the biggest and the tallest, and working his way down until he reached the youngest, which was David. And David was the one uh, who was anointed as king. And maybe we can think of David at the beginning of that story as kind of like a sapling, uh, a young tree, kind of full of promise. And we remember all the promises that were spoken over David, uh, repeated many times, promises of a kingdom that would never end, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of justice. So when you hear Jesse, it reminds you of David, and it reminds you of when all those promises were fresh in the beginning. And then, as David became king, and we're going we're to think a little bit here of the history of Israel in the, in the story of a tree, okay, just to help our minds. So 
Uh, then came a kind of short golden age when there was peace and prosperity in the land and David uh, wrote songs of praise which we have collected in the Psalms, and Solomon built the temple, and the worship of God was at the heart of the nation. And you can kind of imagine at that time a tree flourishing and beautiful and bearing fruit, fully alive, full of color, full of beauty, full of life, peace, prosperity, worship. Um, That was the golden age for Israel. But soon things started to go wrong, and Solomon's head was turned by many wives and many gods, And the kingdom was torn in two. So he ended up with Israel in the north, sometimes called Ephraim, and Judah in the south, where Isaiah carried out his ministry. Uh, So now we kind of have two trees. I didn't know quite how to picture this bit, but we kind of have two trees now. Um, And really, it's fair to say by the time of Isaiah, neither tree is doing very well. Israel in the north tends to do worse on the whole. Judah does a little better. But it's fair to say by the time of Isaiah, neither tree is very healthy. They've been diseased internally by sin, kind of rotting the wood, uh, the sin of idolatry and greed and injustice. And they've been battered from the outside by the storms of enemies coming against them. And so maybe as you looked around Judah or you looked around Israel at the time of Isaiah, this is how you felt. And what you wanted to know was, will we survive? Will we recover? Will we be okay? Can we be again like we were in the time of David? And what does Isaiah the prophet say? Isaiah says things are going to get much worse. Assyria is going to come and destroy the land completely until nothing is left but a stump. Back in Isaiah 6, that's what uh, God says. It's going to be nothing left but a stump like a stump in a desert. And it's kind of a devastating picture from those promising beginnings under David and the golden age to nothing left but a stump and what has happened to all the promises that God gave. So that's kind of our our backstory before we get to Isaiah 11. And then Isaiah the prophet says, but a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So it seems that All is not lost. This is not the end of the story. Something, somehow, is going to rise up from the ruins. And he goes on to say, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So something is going to come up and there's going to be fruitfulness again. There's going to be growth again. There's going to be beauty again. There's going to be green life again in the land. Um, And Isaiah goes on to speak of a mysterious person um, in whom... These promises seem to be, uh, they seem to be focused on and clustered around this person. And Isaiah says about this person, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And then he goes on to say, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. I don't know if I'm the only one, every time I read that line, I think, couldn't we in Northern Ireland do with a sash like that? a sash of faithfulness rather than of sectarianism and tribalism and whatever else. Um, But of course you want to know who is this mysterious person. And the people of Isaiah's time wondered about this. Who is this shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse, this branch that will bear fruit, this person full of wisdom and the spirit of God and clothed in faithfulness? 
Um, and they probably assumed he would be a new king of Judah. That, that was very natural for them to assume. They probably assumed there's going to come a king from the line of David who's going to maybe unite the broken nation and bring a new age of peace um, and all the rest. But each of the kings who came, both before the exile and after, disappointed. They maybe held them up against the picture that Isaiah was painting and said, could this be the one? But every single time they were disappointed, this is not the one Isaiah spoke of. And so they waited and waited for the anointed one, for the king who would come from the line of Jesse, the line of David. Um, I'm going to skip ahead for a second here and say, and give away the end of the story. <laughs> and you probably know this, but then one day, um, a man called Joseph took his pregnant fiancée, Mary, to a town called Bethlehem, which was known as the town of David. And why did he take him there? Because he was of the house and line of David. He was from Jesse's family. And they laid their newborn child in the straw of a feeding trough. And you've probably heard that story before. But what do we as Christians believe? We believe this little child in the manger is the shoot, the branch from the stump of Jesse. And so all the promises given to David find their fulfillment in Jesus. All the promises given to Isaiah find their fulfillment in Jesus. And so using Isaiah's language, if you're looking for wisdom, look to him. If you're looking for faithfulness, Look to him, right? All these promises, all these lines of promise run towards the manger and the birth of that child and everything that followed after. But I want to come back to Isaiah. Uh, that was just, that was all an introduction, by the way. So this is the bit that I want to, I want to focus on. Um, maybe we want to know, well, what kind of kingdom will this coming king bring? When the branch of Jesse comes, when the, the root of Jesse comes and brings this kingdom, what kind of kingdom will it be? And I want to read a really remarkable passage with you uh, from Isaiah 11, from verse 6. And this is what it says, and it's on the screen. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I think it's one of the most remarkable, intriguing, fascinating little pictures that were given anywhere in scripture. And maybe immediately you're wondering, what is going on with all the animals? Um, this apparently, uh, this was a painting that uh, was really popular at the end of the 19th century and the early 20th century. And apparently you could go into nearly any home uh, in, in Britain uh, or around the world and find this, a copy of this painting hung, and it was based on Isaiah 11. Um, what is going on with all the animals? We're trying to get a picture of the kingdom that's coming, and suddenly it's like a zoo. It's like a menagerie of, of animals. Um, well, first of all, 
Um, let's just note one little thing uh, that I find interesting. Um, this scripture, for some reason, has been often misquoted. Uh, and I actually haven't been able to figure out why. But the, in the popular imagination, it's usually quoted as the lion will lie with the lamb. Uh, but that was never part of the text of Isaiah 11 or Isaiah 65, where it's repeated. Um, in Isaiah, it is the wolf who will live with the lamb. It's not, that's, I'm not going to make a big deal about that difference, but it's just a little intriguing. It's one of those things that's gotten misquoted um, as time has gone on. Answers on a postcard, if you can explain to me why, why that got misremembered or misquoted. But maybe we want to know, is this an image we're to take literally? Um, and some have taken it that way, that this is a picture of life in the new creation, in the new heavens and the new earth, where even the animals will live at peace with each other. Um, I don't know if you've ever been watching uh, a nature documentary, like a David Attenborough documentary, and you're kind of enjoying the, the beautiful, amazing animals. And then the music kind of changes, and there's this kind of ominous tone. And you know, you know what's about to happen. You know that lurking in the tall grass, there is a predator coming. And this lovely gazelle that you've been watching is about to be chased and maybe eaten. Um, I wonder how you feel whenever that happens. And sometimes the documentary makers manipulate our emotions uh, whenever we watch those things. Often we struggle emotionally with this aspect of nature. Nature red and tooth and claw. There were stories in the news this week about killer whales eating blue whales, and I almost couldn't read the article um, because there's something in us that is distressed and disturbed. And so perhaps we love the idea of a world without any of that. Um, and I, I'm going to leave that question open. You can debate this over your Sunday lunch. It may be that this past, the one level on which we can take this passage is absolutely literal, that this is a little glimpse of in the new creation, renewed relationships between the animals. Uh, maybe a lot of us are hoping that will be true, a uh, kind of world of vegetarianism where even the lions and the wolves are vegetarians. Um, I don't know. I'm going to leave that one open uh, for you to think about. But I do want to suggest uh, that that is not the primary meaning of this text. When we say, when Isaiah says, the wolf will live with the lamb, I think read in the context of the book of Isaiah, and we'll talk about that in a moment, the animals are best understood as a metaphor for the world of human relationships. We are being asked to imagine a world without violence, without the threat of violence and the fear of violence. As Isaiah goes on to say, where no one will harm or destroy on God's holy mountain. Nobody will harm or destroy on God's holy mountain where no one will need to be afraid because that threat of violence has been removed. Um, you may remember, thinking a wee bit about the wider context of Isaiah, um, you may, as you've been reading Isaiah, have come across these famous words from Isaiah chapter 2. And I think, I think these words can be laid alongside Isaiah 11. Um, it says in Isaiah 2, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So this is really important in the book of Isaiah. As we look ahead to the coming kingdom of God, there's going to be an end to violence. And I, a lot of people love, I love that image of the weapons of war 
will be turned into farming implements. Um, there's going to be a, a, a coming kingdom of peace when violence will end. Um, I think it goes without saying, Isaiah lived in a world full of violence and full of the fear of violence. And we've talked about this already a little bit. The Assyrian Empire was coming and was bearing its teeth to the northeast. Tiglath-Pileser III and those other uh, kings were coming. Judah's own neighbors to the north, Israel and Aram, were coming against them and threatening war. And there was violence within the nation. Chapter 1, God says to the people of Judah, your hands are full of blood. Chapter 3, he rebukes the leaders of the nation for crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor. So especially the violence is the violence of rich against poor, of powerful against weak. And Isaiah names that sin within the nation of Judah. So there's violence coming from outside and there's violence within the nation. So as we think about the wolf and the lamb, the wolf could be Assyria coming against the smaller nations to gobble them up. The wolf could be Aram and Israel ganging up against their smaller neighbor and coming against them. Or it could be the rich and powerful in the land exploiting the poor and the weak. On all those levels, the wolf speaks really powerfully about the violence that is all around in Isaiah's time. And Isaiah says, one day when the branch of Jesse comes, this kind of violence will end. The wolf will live with the lamb. It's a really powerful promise. But I've got to talk about our world. Um, and I find this really hard to do. Um, I, I don't know how to sum up um, the violence that is still part of our world and to do it justice in a couple of minutes and not water it down. Um, I tried to spend some time this week reflecting on it, but I, find it, I found it distressing and at times overwhelming. We often try to ignore the violence in our world and go about our lives, but every now and again, it kind of breaks in on your awareness. Um, right now in our world, 100,000 Russian troops are on the border with Ukraine, and no one knows what's going to happen. And there are people living in ordinary towns and villages in Ukraine who are afraid of the wolf that is coming. Right now in our world, tens of thousands have died in ongoing conflicts in Ethiopia and Yemen that hardly ever even make our headlines. Well, we're talking about what constitutes a party, whether cake makes a party or what somebody tweeted 10 years ago. People are dying every day in their hundreds and thousands. Violence is a daily reality in places like Myanmar and Afghanistan. Um, any of you um, who've read Rachel Robinson's updates will know that even in Cameroon, there's a, a, a civil war that's been going on in a corner of Cameroon called the Anglophone Crisis, where again, people are dying constantly and being displaced from their homes and people Rachel knows have died and had to leave their homes and go and live somewhere else. But again, I, I don't know when that's ever hit our news headlines because these things are commonplace in our world. People are dying every day. People are traumatized and in fear every day. And of course, you don't have to go to Africa for violence and the threat of violence and the fear of violence. Even within the past year, we've seen pictures like this 
in Belfast. We've seen pictures like this in Coleraine. And we see or don't see headlines in our local news about punishment beatings and shootings that still happen in neighbourhoods not very far away from us. Um, and we see headlines about violence relating to sectarianism or racism or drugs or money. And maybe coming even closer to home, we read about violence within people's homes. We hear about violence within people's homes. What we, that strange, awful phrase that we use, domestic violence, often against women or against children, but sometimes against men. Um, many people who don't feel safe in their own homes, who are living with a wolf in the home. Um, in the last, last couple of weeks, um, I was about to say I'm sorry to talk about this, but I feel if we're going to apply God's word to our lives and our world, we have to think about what is going on in our world. Um, in the last couple of weeks, the news has been filled with the story um, of a young woman called Ashling in Tullamore in County Offaly who went for a run and was brutally killed. Last year, there was the story of Sarah Everard in London who was walking home from a friend's house and was kidnapped and killed. And those two stories have stirred up other women to share their stories of being harassed or attacked, or just of talking about how often they don't feel safe walking the streets of their own town or going for a run in their own neighbourhood. And the question for, for us this morning is, how should we respond to all of this? How do we respond to all these things going on in our world and in our town and in our own neighbourhoods and very close to home. Um, and by the way, it's really important to say I'm not talking about something political here because we can react to all these things out of our predictable tribal identities as whatever we think we are, a conservative or a liberal or a left-winger or a right-winger or whatever tribal identities we're parts of. But I'm talking this morning about as Christians, as people shaped by the vision of the Bible, how do we respond to the violence and the fear of violence that's in our world? I want to suggest this morning, we can't just shrug and say, that's just the way the world is. And we can't just retreat, in, although we might like to, <laughs> into our own quiet neighborhood and our own safe home and listen to songs about how lovely heaven is going to be. As God's people, we've got to respond by saying, this should not be. There's got to be a groan in our spirit that says, how long, O oh Lord, is this going to be the case, that people live in fear? Why? Because when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, the wolf will live with the lamb, and no one will harm or hurt on God's holy mountain, and no one is going to need to be afraid. And Jesus, who is our king, has taught us to pray. How did he teach us to pray? Not, I'm really looking forward to going to that happy place one day in the future, but your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us as his followers to pray. And so I want to finish, and I know this is challenging this morning, but I want to finish with a very practical challenge. Um, I was reading this week, I was reading Isaiah 11 and I was reading the parallel passage in Isaiah 2 
about swords being beaten into plowshares and uh, an end of war. And then I, I read the next sentence in Isaiah 2, and it kind of caught my breath. Um, the very next sentence after that vision of uh, an end to war and an end to violence and all the rest says, Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And it kind of caught my breath because what I heard there was we are not just given this beautiful vision of a kingdom of peace so that we will kind of be reassured and know the end of the story is good and can look forward to that happy ever after. We are told as God's people, walk in the light of this vision, right? That's about, whenever you hear the word walk, that's about how we live. <laughs> that's about what we do with our hands and our voice and our strength and our time and our days. Um, it's about our actions, about what we do every day. It's about finding a way to somehow say, I will not, as far as my, my strength and voice and life goes, I will not participate in the kingdoms of this world and their violence. I will not lend my strength to them, but I will live in the light of the coming kingdom of God and I will give my strength to that coming kingdom and I will live as a citizen of the kingdom of peace. And so I find myself wondering, because we can feel overwhelmed by the things I just talked about, what can you and I do to lend our strength to that vision of the coming kingdom? Um, and I guess in some ways I'd love you to write this part of the sermon. And really I want to give it to you and say, I'd love you to talk about this and think about this this week. What are the actions that we can take uh, as God's people to live in the light of this vision? Um, but I want to suggest a couple of things that came to mind um, as I was reflecting on it this week, and these are just to get you started. Um, and, I, and I'm deliberately talking about maybe quite small things, because I think if we begin with small things, then God may lead us to, to bigger actions. Um, what might it mean to walk in the light of this vision of a kingdom of peace where the wolf will live with the, with the lamb? Here's a few things that came to my mind. Um, it might mean, um, as a man, when I am with my male friends, I will not participate in so-called banter, which demeans and objectifies women. And I may even call out my friends and rebuke them in love when they do that. Why? Because this is a world where many women are afraid. And I will not participate in that world or lend it my voice or even lend it my silence because I want to contribute to a kingdom where no one needs to be afraid. So there's one simple action that you could take this week. Um, it might mean I pay attention to how I spend my money. Why? Because when I buy something, I participate in systems of commerce, and some of those systems treat people with dignity and pay them a living wage and provide working conditions that are humane, and other systems treat people as commodities and keep them in conditions of modern-day slavery and grind the faces of the poor, to use Isaiah's expression. And so maybe there's something in our actions around how we spend our money. Or here's maybe a, a, another action you could take. Uh, maybe you could go and volunteer with Digging Deeper when it gets started in the coming weeks. Why? So that you could go into another neighbourhood where maybe some of the problems or the violence is a little closer to the surface than in your neighbourhood. 
and you could walk the streets and do some gardening and plant some seeds and get to know people and pray for God's kingdom to come in that place. There's an action you could take to invest in, to participate in the kingdom of peace. Or it might mean when the news tells of another war or another act of violence closer to home, that I resist the impulse to change the channel to a sitcom or something more comfortable, and that I take just a moment to bear witness to what's going on in our world, and then to pray, because we actually believe that prayer actually makes a difference in the advance of the kingdom of God. And so we pray for an end to violence, and we pray for the coming of peace, and we pray for those in those countries and in those places who are doing the holy work of peacemakers. Remember Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. There's, there's almost nothing we can do in this world that makes us more resemble our Father in heaven than when we, do, we go to places where there is trauma, violence, fear, difficulty, and we make peace. And so we pray for those who are doing that work and maybe we ask, is there anything I can do to lend my strength to the coming kingdom of peace? Those are just a few things to get us started. Um, I'd love to hear this week um, the things God is stirring in you. Um, How do we participate? How do we live in the light uh, of the kingdom of God, that vision that God has planted in our hearts? How do we live and walk in the light of it? Uh, Let me finish with this. Uh, When Jesus came, um, I was struck this week thinking about it. When Jesus came, he came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And there's a sense in which Jesus allowed himself to be devoured by the wolf, the worst of human violence and demonic violence coming against him. But in that moment, We believe that he made peace (laughs) through that act of astonishing self-giving love. Um, He made peace by the blood of the cross. And then Jesus says to you and I, I am sending you as lambs among wolves. Um, And he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Um, Let's pray together. Uh, as we we finish and the band are going to come up and lead us in song uh, just after we pray. Father, these are uh, challenging things that we've been thinking about. Um, Lord, I want to pray that you would um, implant this vision of Isaiah deeply in our hearts that one day the wolf will live with the lamb, that one day swords will be beaten into plowshares, that one day nobody will harm or destroy on all of God's holy mountain, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Father, help us to, to be people of hope who carry that vision burning in our hearts, But Father, I also pray in the meantime, until that day comes, help us to be people who walk in the light of that vision. Father, help us to make those choices every day to say, I am not going to lend my strength uh, 
to the kingdoms of this world and to a world where people live in violence and in the fear of violence. But I'm going to give my strength and my time and my voice and my prayers and my energy to participate in the, the kingdom of Jesus, which is the kingdom of peace. Father, show us the little things that we can do this week um, to embody this hope. We pray that our lives could be prophetic signposts that point to that coming kingdom and show the people around us the beauty of the kingdom of Jesus. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen.